Recovery from Anything features real stories that some listeners might find distressing. Check the show notes for specific content warnings and information on support services. I remember thinking, I can't understand how he's, I'm never going to see him again. What? How? And is he okay? Because it's your child at the end of the day. And you just, you suddenly you don't put him to bed and you're thinking, how do I know he's all right? Welcome to Recovery From Anything. I'm your host, Abby Felton. Loss has the power to reshape our lives in unimaginable ways. It's a journey of heartache, confusion, and ultimately, of discovering the strength to carry on. My own experience of loss was losing my father to suicide when I was a child. I grew up angry, mostly, at this mystery man who I barely spent any time with, but who I loved deeply. Alongside my rage was a strong sense of yearning, of longing for what was missing, a role that was never filled, a part never played. I never got to know him or understand him, learn his likes and his dislikes, hear his laugh, see him grow old, but he was a part of me and I was a part of him. When it comes to loss, What if it was the other way around, and it was the parent who lost the child? Here's Matt Pink. I was born in America, in Salt Lake City, Utah, and moved over to sort of like Bedfordshire, Buckinghamshire area with my parents, moved around a few times and settled in Milton Keynes and spent most of my childhood, well, pretty much all my childhood there, it's a bit of a nothing town that's sort of purpose-built. It's a basically a commutersville because you can buy a house out there for nothing and you can get on the train in 30 minutes and you're in central London. So it's sort of that's sort of what the place is known for, if you like. So it's a bit of a funny area because you get got London overspill and people no one's sort of really born and bred there really, because it's such a new town. I was super fortunate, like, because I had a really good upbringing. We lived in a nice house. We, yeah, it wasn't, don't get me wrong, it wasn't, we weren't rich or anything, but it was just a nice house. My parents were together, they had jobs, but I was, definitely wasn't spoiled and I didn't get a lot in terms of like, if I was asking for a new football shirt, I would have to wait for a birthday or a Christmas, but it was just nice. I just had a nice time really, nothing of any interest, particularly either way, good, bad or ugly happened. It was fairly straightforward. I had two sisters, played football a lot. Grew up at a reasonably good school, but obviously like most schools around there, it's a little bit rough around the edges, but I was all right. I was full of energy, knew what I wanted, quite good at football, so fairly popular in terms of like rankings in the school. So I always felt quite good about myself. I didn't have any sort of like negativity. I wasn't bullied or anything. So my childhood is full of happy memories, summer memories, playing around with my friends outside the park and yeah, being out till all hours and yeah, I'd say it's a fairly normal childhood as well. My story is almost super normal until 30 years old. I thought I'd sort of made it because I was married. I had a nice house. I bought, I had a decent job. I was driving a nice car. I had a daughter, I had a son. So I had like 2.4 children. And that was where it started to go wrong because tragically I, I lost my son all of a sudden he died 
in 2013, which was 10 years ago now. And it was a obviously horrendous shock. Just died of sudden infant death syndrome, which is essentially cop death. But he was like nearly five months old, so he's quite old to have cop death. So he'd obviously been around a bit. He was sitting up. He was saying the odd word. So it was pretty fucking tragic. My relationship with alcohol changed almost overnight because I, I, although I was a drinker, like I, I was a drinker and as a normal drinker that grew up around, you know, in, in the UK, you know, drunk at the park, smoking the odd joint, you know, nothing major, but just kind of was, was drinking a fair amount, probably five days out of seven. But when that happened, I remember like thinking to myself on the day, making sure I, I remember specifically buying four cans of Stella and have it and that sort of lasted about five seconds when you when something like that happens you look around you, you look around your close circle and you go okay fuck I'm I, I am fucked here like what do I do I look at my wife she's fucked I look at my parents they're fucked and you think okay uh there's only one answer here which is yeah you know, I'm the man of the house I'm gonna have to sort of plod on with it and just keep keep going and that's where I, my relationship with alcohol changed because I sort of thought that that took the edge off and that would along with some sleeping pills would knock me out as well and enable me to sort of get up and tick another day off and that was what I did for quite a long time until that became a problem on top of a problem. I remember thinking, I can't understand how he's, I'm never going to see him again. And that's, that's weirdly one of the things I struggled to cope with was like not knowing he's all right. That's the, especially being a kid, you just like, as a, as a parent, you're like, what? Because there's the, the obvious challenges logistically of having to arrange a funeral, tell everybody, you know, carry him down the, the, the aisle at the funeral. You know, there's, there's those physical challenges. But then there's just the thing you sit there with, you just like, what? And like, what? How? And it is, is he okay? Because it's your child at the end of the day. And you just, you suddenly you don't put him to bed and you're thinking, how do I know he's all right? Someone said to me, like, time is a healer. And that was sort of one of the worst things to say to me because I was thinking, well, what can I do that's going to make time go quick? Well, drinking makes time go quick. Drugs makes time go quick. So if I just go and drinky druggy hole for a bit, then I'm going to be fine in two years' time. Like, naively, legit thought that. And I was still functioning, still doing my job and had a good job. And so I was really grinding all the gears, trying to pass through this time and make sure it was all right. But what was happening was I was feeling worse. I was using more drink, using more drugs, going through the night sniffing gear, going for a second night sniffing gear, still going to work and holding the job and trying to hold meetings whilst not having any sleep and being internally broken. It just got to a point where I just didn't care about anything at all. It's a weird feeling. It's almost like liberating. Like you legitimately do not care. But I, I didn't have the bollocks to, to sort of kill myself. So I was trying to do it. I was hoping someone was going to just wipe me out or, you know, just going to not wake up one day. And that was where I got to. And that meant that my relationship with my wife broke down. She kept the house and I was out on my ear and had a bag full of stuff. And then I genuinely didn't know where I was going to be, what I was going to do. I sort of felt, sort of felt weird sense of relief that that marriage was over because I thought, well, I'm gradually starting to lose it all now, which is almost, I was flirting with. I wanted to lose everything. I wanted to sort of like do it one by one. I was waiting for it to get sacked, but they wouldn't seem to sack me for some reason. I was like trying my best to get everything like bad to happen. And it was, that was the first cog. And I was like, almost like, oh good, that's the first thing done. But I also didn't know where I sleep and logistically and what I was doing. And also I had to face the fact I wasn't gonna live with my kids. My, my work were really good. They put me in some counseling 
some of the best counsellors in London and I've gone there and I just had sat opposite these people in like Holborn and I remember just thinking this is a really posh office these are really clever people they're going to sort me out I just didn't have any connection with them whatsoever I went to another one I went to three sessions with this guy I changed the guy to a girl I was just like it's not working for me and out of sort of desperation my mum and sister had been to see like mediums and spiritualists and I'd always thought it's like bullshit and whatever but I just thought you know what out of desperation I'm going to go and so I went to see this woman and she, I just rang, yeah, got it out of the paper. I rang her up, didn't know who she was, called my, yeah, I just said, I'm Matt, I want to come down. She put me in for Tuesday after work, went down there. Uh, and I was sort of like a bit nervous going in and went to see her. And she, when I walked in, she was really nice and really warming. And just remember feeling quite at ease in her house. She started telling me all this stuff and she had, it was 30 minutes and she pressed like go on a timer. There's this big timer on the wall. And I just remember thinking, okay, this is quite interesting. She was telling me stuff about my job. It was completely nothing to do with him. And the, all the stuff that she was telling me was like making total sense. And the stuff that re really random that I, she would never have known about a, the thing, a thing I was thinking about changing in my job and a, am I going up a ladder or down a ladder and loads, loads of stuff that was really specific. So I was essentially buying my trust really. And I was like buying into it all. And then at the end of it, she, she was like, I've got someone who wants to speak to you. And I was like, okay. And she, they were like, they've got two people behind you, actually. And she was like, there's a woman. And she's like, there's an old woman. It's your great-grandma. And I was like, and that sort of was a bit like, yeah, of course it is. Like, like it always is in the old mediums. But she was like, she's showing me something. She's trying to show me something over your shoulder. And I was like, okay, what is it? And she was like, it's your son. And I was just like, oh, my God. And I just burst out crying. And I was just like, what? Um, and she was like, he's she's trying to tell you that he's okay. She's got him and he's a reoccurring spirit and he's fine and I just had this like immense obviously outburst of emotion but also just like relief I said to her like this is the first time you don't stand it's the first time I've actually felt relief since this has happened and I'm just so grateful like what, what can I do can I come back again like and she said and she held my hand and she said don't worry darling if we ever need you we'll come to you and I just thought to myself, that's weird, but whatever. And I sort of went, I bounced out there and I sort of felt right again for a bit. And I sort of came back to life a bit, even started like running or go to the gym and stuff. But it didn't last very long because I'd got drink and drugs or two sort of like ingrained in me. I came back at the weekend and it ended up being a Monday, Tuesday. Fast forward another year or so of sort of destruction and trying to make sure time's a healer and all that and didn't know what I was doing, where I was going. And I was outside this pub in Regent Street, which I always drank at. It was like, a, I think, a three-day-in situation, like multiple bags of gear, multiple drinks, like running out of room in my nose to get it up. I was outside on a fag, which I was also smoking as well, just doing it for a can to sort of get anything harmful in me. And then this guy came up to me outside this bar and he was just like, started speaking to me really fast. And he was just reading off all this stuff, like, you need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that, you're going you're gonna to live a long life, you're going to be really successful, you're going to live to your 96, you're going to be... You're going to help people. You're going to help people. You're going to help people. You're going to, and he, he was putting this bit of paper in my hand and he like scrunched it up and he was holding my hand and he was talking to me. And he was like, You're really close to a flower, really close to a flower, really close to a flower. And he's like repeating all these things those times. There's a there's a girl, there's a girl. She's called K, K, K. I'm getting a K, K, K. And I was like, K, 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 um, flower. And then he was like saying something about a star and he was saying something about all this stuff that meant something to me. And I was like, It's really weird. And he was telling me, you need to st stop doing these things and you can help people. And he was like making the gestures of like smoking and drinking. And it was really weird. And then he, he this lasted about 20 minutes and he sort of 
disappeared. And I was with my mate Ryan, thank God, because I think no one would uh, believe me. And when he went, I opened it, paid this one bit of paper, and it just said, I have two sisters, no brothers. And it said, Flower equals Lily, which is my daughter's name. K equals Kirsty, who I'd just met on Tinder, was sort of seen once, but was thinking, like, I don't know where that's going to lead. And a star, where I just had a star tattoo on my wrist of the same star he drew on my, on the bit of paper. And I was like, and that was for my son, the star tattoo. And I was like, what? What I realised that moment was that was the spiritual world sort of coming back to get me when they, when they, when I needed them. But also, that just gave me like an immense sense of purpose again. And so the way I describe it is like it, someone put me back on the track and told me almost because no one tells you like no no one tells you stop doing drugs. Your parents don't don't say to you stop drinking, stop doing drugs, you know, and then you'll be alright. No one tells you that because you're a grown man and also that they're drinking as well. It was just pure instructions of someone telling me what I needed to do, what I needed to hear. And having that really weird thing where he said I was going to live till I was 96 and I was going to help lots of people. And at the time, I thought I was going to live till like the next day. And I was like, wow, okay, maybe that isn't the path for me. Maybe this is the path for me. Maybe I do need to stop. And actually, I know, I've known all along that I'm a good human. Like, I'm a nice boy. Do you know what I mean? Like I said, I grew up in a nice place. I'm not a nasty person. I've never punched anyone in the face. I've never been horrible to anyone. I'm just a, a decent person. But when when I was drinking and doing drugs, I was falling out of people. And I was doing things and saying things that just I couldn't relate to, that like weren't me. And I think that's the danger of doing drugs in particular, is you do things that just aren't aren't you. They're, they're, you can't recognize. Drinking, I think you can recognize bits of, and I think you can say, yeah, I was being a bit of a dick then. But when you do drugs, it's just, you end up becoming someone you're not. And I think that was that was enough for me to sort of like definitely stop doing that and sort of cut back everything and refine who I am and just be a, go on a bit of a soul searching mission and rediscover my, my purpose and who I was. But it wasn't like immediate that I didn't stop drinking and stuff. But I, it, if what it was immediate was it made me see Kirsty and move in with Kirsty almost overnight. But she's not a mug. So she was like, you can, you know, you can be with me but you're not coming home after a night on the gear or you're not doing this. And see, she like put some ground rules in me and I've sort of respected her straight away and also needed that. So that that enabled me to sort of, okay, I can, you know, I can live my life. We joined a gym together. We started, we started a relationship. So it was quite nice to have that sort of fresh outlook on things again. Yeah, we started having the kids regularly and started setting into a pattern with that. So hope was returning and we went on holidays. All the things you think you lost when you had a family, you had a house and you had... 2.4 children outlook on life you go from that to having a bag of shit and, and, walk, and not knowing where you're going to sleep at night you lose hope that you'll never go to a garden center for a coffee again with your family or you'll never go on holiday again with your family when you start integrating that and laying that back in even though it's not the way you thought it was going to happen you realize that actually there is hope you, you have you trust the process i suppose that it will lead you to a better place than you were at before it's really inspiring that trust in the process. But one of the main barriers for people like in changing their lives and transforming themselves is that commitment. It's like what is going to happen in the future? Yeah, like surrender. Yeah, surrender. But well, yeah, and when you surrender, you're literally kind of like handing it over and just having faith in whatever. And that's the thing I think what I've realized with that is 
where people get um, frustrated with surrender or they don't understand surrender is that they think that it means everything good is going to come to you. But what it means is you're surrendering to whatever happens and being comfortable with that. And I think, so if, if I die tomorrow, then I'm comfortable with that. And if I don't, I'm comfortable with that. And actually death and life, you know, who knows what happens anyway? Like not much matters. And actually life is pretty beautiful. If you find the, the beautiful things to focus on and yeah, you see your choice, isn't it? You can go outside, focus on the trees, listen to the birds, or you can concentrate on the pollution coming out of the back of a car that's driving past the trees and the birds. You choose whatever you want to focus on and you live that life. And I choose to focus on the positive things all the time. Choose to focus on the fact that life will be what it is. You know, I can only, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to go down the road of going, fuck it, life's going to be what it is, so I'm going to destroy myself. I believe that the, the purpose of life is to try and live in alignment with yourself. That's the, that's the journey I'm on, is trying to figure that bit out. So I think once you do that, you, you live a sense of freedom, which I think freedom is the thing we're all trying to find. And I don't mean financial freedom, I mean just freedom from life. What is my life like now? Well, I, I, I'd say it's probably the best it's ever been in terms of how I feel about every day. I'm now in a position where I'm getting up, I'm doing what I love, I'm working out, I've got a healthy mind, I'm helping people, I've got drive, we're helping people with that. That's at the start of his journey. And I feel like we're starting to do something that's really going to maybe change the world a little bit. My only ever concerns are sort of financially because I've got so many kids and stuff. And the absence of that concern, I think my life is almost perfect, really. I make sure I sort of tell the world that I'm grateful and you know, I go for runs and I speak to the sky and I say how grateful I am for everybody's like health and happiness and the life and family we've got. And we've got a very even good relationship with my ex-wife and my my wife and her are good friends so that the relationship between the kids, they see them bouncing from one, one house to the other quite happily. So yeah, I'd say we're doing well and excited about the future as well because there's lots more I've got planned, um, which is really exciting my goal now is like a, like I said to you before is like the alignment thing for me is I know that when I've flirted with being in alignment when I when I say alignment I mean my sleeping is on point my eating is on point my movement is on point my connection is on point I'm working the job that I love I'm helping people and I've got these sort of eight or nine pillars that when they're all aligned I feel fucking great so I think my goal now is to keep working on that to keep stretching myself to keep playing and tweaking the dials to make sure I refine myself so that I know exactly where that is because I've got close to it and then I've fallen off and then I've started new things and I've fallen off. So I just think my game is to try and I really want to do more spiritually. I would love to tap into that more. I've gone from someone who doesn't believe in any of that shit to someone who now knows that that runs every bit of my life and everyone's life, in my opinion. It made me realize that nothing matters really and nothing is... You know, it's all up to the gods or the universe or whatever you want to call it, in my opinion, what happens in life. You know, you just have to take the signs and do do the right things and they'll do right by you. And I, I genuinely believe that now, which is the crazy way of looking at it, and it shows my opinion on spirituality, is almost like that that was supposed to break me. I was supposed to not be married to her. I was supposed to not live there. And, and the reason is this made me now the person I am and I'm able to now help multiple people around the world because i know that if i can come back from that then you know they can come back from their own version of rock bomb as well so i'm almost would say i was grateful for 
that experience, which is pretty powerful place to be, I think. Last question, and I'll let you get on with your morning. Um, it's a question that I'm asking everyone at the end. Um, what does recovery mean to you? I think I've recovered from my incident and got myself back on track. Um, and I think that's taken a 10-year journey of self-destruction. I think, I suppose, no one's ever asked that question before, and it's really interesting to answer it because I would normally say, like, it doesn't mean anything to me. But obviously, having recovered, I think there's always that awareness that I can be triggered into that state by a sense of loss and that's already happened to me so i think now it's trying to i'm trying to build myself a shell a coat of armor that is physical is mental is connection is it's everything that means that if something happens to me or when something happens to me either to me or my family that's going to risk me going down the path of self-destruction again I've done the best possible job I can in building myself to be as strong as I can to deal with the situation that are inevitable and also are intentional and part of the bigger journey. And like I said, like the universe, everything always happens for a reason. So having that sort of sense of knowledge that I've been through it before, you know, I can get through it again and I've just got to keep driving forward and moving myself forward and trying to be the best version I can for the people that are with me and surrounded by me and influenced by me in this day. you've been listening to recovery from anything i'm your host abby felton if you enjoyed this podcast please rate and review the show and join the community on instagram at recovery from anything you can find out more about this week's storyteller or submit a story of your own on our website recoverymanything.com. thank you for listening <laughs>